Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse. This podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you are fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our, our title, New Manna, comes from John six fifty eight. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us every single day in the Holy Eucharist. So really excited about our episode today. Got a super special guest in the house, or rather I'm in his house, kind of. But yeah, I just want to say thanks to all of our listeners out there who have left a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive, that he's about a good work, and he's truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. So if that's you, God bless you. Thank you so much for doing that. And if you haven't, guess what? You can still do it. Just don't do it while you're driving. Cool. So I want to introduce our awesome guest, Mr. Father. I said Mr. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only Father Colin Larkin. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes. For everybody who doesn't know you, Father, who is Father Colin? Well, it's funny you said Mr. Colin Larkin because I've only been a priest for about six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah. I am the uh, parochial vicar at Church of the Ascension in Overland Park, Kansas. I am the... Uh, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. What does parochial vicar mean? So parochial vicar is an the technical term for what we would call an associate pastor. Mm. So I am not in charge of the church. Rather, my goal, my task is to support the pastor who's Father Gary Pennings as he shepherds the church. That's actually what I preached on today is how Father Gary is the pastor. He's the shepherd. Nice. I'm here merely just to yeah, you're support the, him. You're the assistant support shepherd. Assistant to the regional pastor, something there you like go. that. Yes. Yeah. That's an office uh, reference. Uh, Love that. Thank you, Jesus, for the office. Yeah. I'm also the uh, chaplain at St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Um recent football champions for a Kansas Go Saints. Right. And yeah, youngest of four siblings. Okay. Um, all my family's from Kansas. We moved around a lot when I was growing up, but mm. yeah, Kansas has always been home. You're not a, you didn't come from a military family, did you? Nope. No? Just uh, Catholic schools are expensive. So my dad yeah. would follow promotions around the Midwest in order to, yeah, pay for. Makes sense. I am the product of 23 years of Catholic education. Hey, look at that. K through my, through my seventh year of seminary. So it worked. God bless my parents. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So tell me about being a baby priest. How's that going? It's it's great. Uh, you are a low man on the totem pole, right? Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes you get the assignments that that the more senior priests do not. But I'm just delighted. I mean, I tell the high schoolers, it's like from time to time, I just realize I'm like, I'm a priest. Mm. Holy moly. Yeah. It's not a job, right? It's not a career. It's, it's not just a phase. Like, not a phase. My I am a priest forever. There's a mark on my soul that will never go away. And I mean, the, yeah. the, it's, it's, inc it's crazy. There's nothing that can prepare you. I mean, seminary is great. It does its best. Our rector used to say priestly formation begins when you're ordained a priest because you can't be formed as a priest mm. unless you're a priest. And just the sort of zero to 100 of like, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're a deacon, which is great and beautiful. You're a seminarian. But when you become a priest, it's like the, it's just the intimacy, the intensity, mm with which people invite themselves into your lives, particularly in the confessional. That's where it's most yeah. noticeable. It's right. You, you go from only ever being on the other side of the screen to all of a sudden people are coming to you. Right. Asking for you to forgive their Well, asking for Jesus, right. Yeah. To forgive their sins through, through your priesthood. And it's just, yeah, it's so humbling. Um, yeah. 
Because it's like, what am I going to say to these people? I have I have nothing to right. say, right? The Holy Spirit inspires and, and we do our best. But yeah, being a priest is absolutely amazing. Six months going strong. Um, I mean, yeah, looking forward to decades more, hopefully. You know, yeah. still a lot to learn. There's a pretty steep learning curve. There's sure so much that goes into, yeah, running a parish, running a high school, um, just nitty gritty stuff that right you would never think of like yeah how do finances work in a church I don't know got to learn that yeah they're not simple right, right. <laughs> so yeah just uh but just take it a day at a time right you got to stay close to the Lord in prayer that's the easiest thing for young priests to do is to just get caught up in all the action and really let the relationship with Jesus hmm. sort of I don't know become something if I get to it and it's like, yeah and that's always a temptation right you gotta you gotta fight you gotta stay close to the Lord. Um, and truly lean on him. Cause at the end of the day, it's not me. Like I said, it's, it's yeah. Jesus who's, who's caring for the people through me, right? His, his lowly servant. Yeah. I just got this image. It was like, okay, what's it mean to follow Christ? It's like, well, as a disciple, you're, you're like, you say, let your dust come upon me. Like it was the ancient Jewish tradition that when someone was asked to, to come and follow them, it was like, okay, I want you to be my student. Come and be like me. And something that the disciple would respond with is not like, yes and amen. It's like, may your dust be upon me. Mm. It's like, because I'm following you. Yeah. Like back in the day when they had dusty roads and stuff, you know, it's, that's just what they said. I love that. It's really yeah. interesting. But the image I got was, you know, following Christ and you as a priest, you know, this, this kind of goes for all of us though. It's like, okay, make prioritizing prayer, prioritizing my relationship with him. Um, it can be like, I'm following him down the road, down the street. And then all of a sudden I just get mobbed by people. And for some reason they want to talk to me. And I've got all these little things that I didn't ask for. I can't change or I don't like. Yeah. And they're just like crowding around me like this this giant crowd of people. And all I want is to just follow the Lord. And we have to fight. Like you said, we have to yeah. vie. We have to, we have to contend for that relationship. Otherwise, you know, if we're pushovers like that, it's just going to, yeah. our relationship is just going to get pushed over Yeah. with us. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that I find very helpful and that I actually tell a lot of people is, right, you don't have to be in the church to pray very important to set aside sort of, you know, specific, uh, intentional times of prayer. Yeah. Um, in your car, yeah. cooking lunch, like for the students, right. It's like doing your homework, working your job after school, whatever right, it is. Right. I, um, the more I, like the older I get, I'm not very old I'm 29, but I'm just, I've really come to believe in it's like the frequency with which we raise our heart to God, um, is what really keeps us going throughout the day yeah. if we're unable, right. Or if yeah. I mean, today's a super busy day for, for Father Colin. We pretty yeah. much, you know, dusk till dawn or dawn till dusk. And yeah, it's like just every now and then just, all right, Lord, even as simple as Jesus help. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Just, ah, uh, yep. yeah. Give me your heart for this person. That's one of my, that's one of my go-to moments when I know I'm about to have an encounter with somebody who mm -hmm. maybe I'm not the personally like the biggest fan of and I need conversion and that's just like Lord give me your heart for this person help me see this mm. situation this person this relationship through your heart please yeah yeah beautiful yeah so you uh you do work with youngins mm -hmm. yeah so what is your role at what, like okay first of all just like what is a chaplain in general does that you know feel free to speak into that yeah so uh in the catholic church the pastors as I was talking about pastors are in charge of a parish a parish is actually an area of land. It's a community of people that gather on an area of land, but there's a geographical boundary. And the pastor is the priest who's in charge of everyone in those boundaries, not just Catholics, right? All souls, all, all people. All souls, all people within the boundaries of Church of the Ascension. Father Gary Pennings is in charge of their salvation. 
which is a horrifyingly intimidating thought. It's pretty real. Uh, chaplains are, we have personal assignments. So I'm assigned to a group of people insofar as they are associated with a certain organization. So yeah. all the faculty, staff, and students of St. Thomas Aquinas High School, yeah. although they're all members of other parishes when they're at school doing school things, then they fall under my care. Hmm. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm the pastor of the school, but because it's not a parish, we, we don't use that term. Hmm. I looked it up again because I forgot the etymology. So like the study of the word, like where does the word come from? I love this etymology. It's just the study of words and how they're, how they originate and where they come from. Anyway, the, the story behind chaplain is it means little cloak, a oh. little cloak. So cool. capella, little cloak, medieval Latin. Um, yeah. So you wear a little cloak as a priest. Because <laughs> back in the day, part of the, um, what's it called? Hmm. Cassock. Mm. Didn't you wear like a little half, or like a shoulder yeah, cloak? Yeah, there'd be a little shoulder cape. Yeah, that yeah. would go around it. Um, so there you yeah, have it. That's cool. Chaplain equals shoulder. Yeah. And that's also cloak. That's also what distinguishes uh, a chapel from a church. A chapel isn't, it's, a, it's attached to, again, like a building or an organization, not an area of land. Hmm. So like right the chapel at the school. Uh, Chapel of the Immaculate Conception feast day tomorrow. Hey. Well, probably not by the time this comes out. But, right. Be a um, few weeks. Be a few weeks. But yeah, so that chapel is not a church, right? Because it's only attached. It, it serves the building and the people there, not yeah, a whole area. Hmm. So there you go. I love that. The more you know. What's your favorite part about being a high school chaplain? Oh, I don't know. I tell people I love the energy. And even I'm not really sure what I mean by that. But it's just there's so much potential. There's so much going on. Um, High school is a weird, freshmen are so different from seniors. Yes. And so it's not like the same old thing every day. It's like based on what hallway you're in, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, that's right. Based on which classes you visit, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. And I mean, right, we all went to high school. There are some kids who are like on cloud nine and then you'll walk down the hall and you'll see a kid who needs a pick pick me up, right? And so it's just, I don't know, it's never boring. It's never dull. Um, It's relational, which I love. I mean, that's, that's really what, gets me up and the way it's like, okay, right. Think, okay, I have to go to these meetings. It's like, okay, that's mm-hmm. not very exciting, but it's like, I, right. I'm privileged at the high school yeah. that I just get to roam, roam the halls, say hi to kids. And it's so funny how seemingly quickly you can learn their trust. But if you haven't learned their trust, they, they, the wall is up. Yeah. But I don't, I don't even know when it is, but it's like, you see it kid by kid. They'll go from not even looking at you in the hallways to always saying hello when they walk by you. And it's right. like, I don't know what clicked. Maybe you just went. Holy Spirit. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully, pray God. Um, but yeah, it, it's just cool to, and then right once once they've trusted, then they'll let you into their life a little bit and they'll start to share and reveal. We, yeah. I was sitting in a class today and the teacher uh, was talking about how he said, right, people are always watching you to see if you're trustworthy. Mm. Whether you know it or not, right, people are, sort of sizing you up to see if you're trustworthy. And yeah. if you are, if they deem that you are, and that might take weeks, months, years, then that's only when they'll open up to you. And so just, right, it's not so much the one-on-one, like direct interactions of, right. I earned your trust through this conversation. It's like, they watch, and if they deem you trustworthy, then okay, yeah, yeah I'll open up to you. So. Yeah, the the path of trust is a different path for every individual. Yep. You know, some people are just really open and you know vulnerable kind of from the onset and in that sense like more naturally trusting and and some are a little more a little more guarded mm-hmm. and, and you know it's just part of its personality part of its development like yeah. stage part of its hormones part of its you know maybe it was just a bad hair day or bad yeah. i got an f 
But you have, uh, it's interesting, your mission field is like 15 feet wide. Mm. Really weird. Yeah. It's kind of like a, that's just interesting, right? It's that's, like, wow. Yeah. 15 feet wide, you know, at like six, seven minute increments at a time. And then, yeah, if you get to sit in on a class, how, yeah. how special. And then to be able to speak into the lives of teens at a Catholic school, Catholic yeah. high school, right? Because not, because not every single one of them is going to mass, like, on a on a weekend no yeah that's actually on my to-do list um right so I, i've been school started in august so i've been there for what three four months now yeah um definitely getting my tone right like i feel comfortable i feel like i belong there sure um one of my goals is to and i don't even know the means to do this but i don't even send out a survey of just like how often do you go to church right how often do your parents go to church do you ever pray as a fan just sort of get the data of what are these kids spiritual lives like outside yeah. of school because I mean right at school we, we pray four or five times a day and there's just like crucifixes everywhere and it's just the faith is very robust it's very present but if they go home to you know a sort of spiritually empty house yeah it's like well there's a lot more work to be done um, yeah. and really in many ways our work is limited to just right I'm not right. gonna be able to go into every family's house and give them a spiritual pep talk or whatever but mm. um, yeah yeah it's it's just because once you know where where they're at right? Then you can know what's the next step. Yeah. That's I had a professor in college who all used to say for every journey, you have to know where you are, where you're going and how to get there. Yeah. If you don't know where you are, you can't even start the journey. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a point of encouragement too, that you're able to actually, um, well, I mean, all school, all communities are kind of like this is that you can, you can encourage them and, and, and put this, um, yeah, this, the strength within them that they can take what they have at school home. Mm-hmm. And that can be a, an environment in which they continue to uh, exist and thrive in and yep. like just be. So, yeah, I mean, even if, even if the, the home is kind of more of a, a spiritually um, inert mm-hmm. situation or uh, maybe if it's even hostile, yeah. like that they can, they can rest in what it is that you're able to participate in actually yeah. instilling. It's There's pretty cool. Really cool story actually about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the a student came up to me. And he was just so proud. He said, Father, I went to the I went to Mass for the first time in two years. Let's go. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, nice, dude. Yeah, just like I've been not that I've been working on him more than anyone else, yeah, but just yeah. like yeah, it's like it's he's a kid who I see, right, needs some encouragement in the faith. And yeah, just like he was telling everyone mm-hmm. about it. And I'm like, dude, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Go go next weekend, right? Keep it rolling. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah. I I wanna see you there. Yep. I'll be at the ten thirty on Sunday. Check Absolutely. it out. Yeah. And how special just the, um, when you get to see fruit in ministry, how rare that yeah. is really. Um, I mean, the Lord, he calls us to be faithful, like laborers in the vineyard. And he, like there's the parable of the, the, the denarius, right? This one, mm-hmm. you know, the, maybe that's not what it's called. What's the, like the laborers in the vineyard, right? It's just yeah. the, he goes out at each, you know, the master of this vineyard goes out at multiple times throughout the day to get more servants to come and like work. And each one at the end of their day gets the same amount, even though one was there for like 11 hours and one was there for like one. Mm-hmm. And the one who was there for 11 hours gets all butthurt about not getting, you know, more than the the guy yep. who got one. And the Lord's like, hey, come on, man. Like, this yep. is, who are you to say that what I can and cannot do? Like, are you telling me I can't be generous? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just when the fruit is there, just like when you're able to see that fruit, it's really nice. Yeah. You know, because he Lord, he, he asks us to be faithful unto him. And when the fruit comes, it comes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, because like, the yeah, it's just about working for the fruit, not always 
seeing the fruit yourself because mm-hmm. the fruit that is actually born from your labors they may very well be present and it might be abundant you just might not see it yeah and yeah and oftentimes the lord will hide that from us in order to keep us humble right because yeah. if you yeah if you see it like oh man it's going great i'm the best right what, i am the best what i'm doing is working it's like nope you're yeah. not it's what god is doing through your openness to him but yeah we can never claim Right. I forget who said, but we, the only thing we can claim for ourselves is our sins. Yep. Everything else comes from the Lord. Yes and amen. So, Father, take me back to the beginning. What is your story of falling in love with Christ? Yeah, well, um, as I said, Catholic education my entire life. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, grew up going to Mass every Sunday, doing all the Catholic things. Um, yeah, my parents are very, very faithful. Uh, I'd like many of my peers, it really for the last, for decades, it's like what was sort of handed on was, I would suppose you'd say like merely sort of external tradition. So like, which, which facets of the faith, right. Was what I was given. Um, which is fair because that was what my parents received from their parents, which was what they received, but there was no personal element to it. Right. So as I got older into, into middle school and high school, um, I just found myself having less and less use of it. Uh, still went to mass every Sunday because I knew that my parents would be furious if I did not. God bless them. Right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Always had that conscience. Right. I never lost that. You didn't want to upset them. You wanted to make them proud. Yeah. For sure. And I just and I knew that for reasons that I didn't quite understand, Sunday mass was important. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, you know, along with that, just just looking for happiness, right? Like so many young people are. Um, right. Thought tried to find it in in football in high school. I was a big football player. Uh, you know, in in dating, and then later into partying and stuff and far from it, right? It, it just created a deeper emptiness. I became more acutely aware yeah. of that there was some, there's some hole, there was some lack uh, in my soul mm. that I desperately wanted to fill, but I didn't know what with. Um, yeah. By the grace of God, I went to Benedictine College uh, in Atchison, Kansas, which is an awesome little Catholic school. It's about 2000 students, so very small, but very fervently Catholic, very faithful. My two sisters had gone there ahead of me and I chose to go there because I knew deep in my heart that I had sort of started going down a wrong path. And mm. I, it was just as vague as like, I need to go to a churchy school, right? Where, <laughs> like, where, they, where there would be the community and, and the faith in order to support me and guide me in this right, really important transition. Um, what was but, your relationship with your sisters? Or is your relationship? I mean, do they- so currently it's, it's great. I mean, growing up, we were siblings, we fought, um, I wouldn't say they no, were. No, no, no. Here's what I mean. I'll back up. So what was your, I mean, that's interesting. You said that you went there and the fact that they went there as well. Oh. Like, did you, did you, like, was there some like sort of peace that they, that they're going to be there as well, but also like they might help me like get on the straight and narrow. I don't know what that is maybe, or I don't know. So I just saw very concrete, distinct changes in my two sisters when they went to Benedictine. Hmm. Uh, I couldn't name it, but it was just like, obviously they became more fervent in the faith in like external ways, but there was, there was something imperceptible that they had that I was like, I want that. Mm. And, and I think I need that, right? Maybe that's, that's the answer. Mm. Um, and I could not for the life of me describe to you what I thought that was, but it was just, there's something there. And even like when I had visited them on campus, it just, it felt different. Interesting. It, It felt different than other college campuses I'd been on. And so, yeah, so I, followed them there. So my sister was a senior, uh, when I was a, a freshman, but yeah, but the problem, you're right, you right. The old habits followed me too. So it's yeah. like, um, now I'm playing, you know, 
good Catholic boy, right? Because right. the, the split in our class was about 70-30 women to men. That's pretty good. Which is pretty good odds for us. Hey. Made the ladies a bit upset. Yeah. But uh, So it was like, right, you play the, oh, I'm a good Catholic guy. Um, but I was living this double life, right? It, yeah, was, it yeah. was like still falling into these bad habits on, you know, on the weekends and, and with my buddies. But um, yeah, it was just that duplicity of life that is insustain- unsustainable. Mm. Yeah, like something's... You can't... Yeah. Like, it couldn't keep going. It had to stop at one point. And so, yeah, there was a kind of rather dark time in spring. Anyway, I, yeah. It's okay. Don't need to go down there. Yeah, just, yeah. Went, just found myself in a very dark place. Sure. Um, and a few weeks after that moment, that sort of bottoming out, uh, my sister, who was a senior, uh, dragged me into the church, our home, our church back home. Um, it was on Holy Thursday mm. to pray before the altar of repose, right? So for those of you who don't know on... Holy Thursday, uh, the night that of the Last Supper, the night when Christ instituted the Eucharist. It's a tradition. And the priesthood. And the priesthood. Yep. Right. Foreshadowing of yep. the Lord. And promised confirmation. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's looking back, it's uncanny that this was the day he chose, but yeah. it was uh, Holy Thursday, 2013, um, so that the Eucharist gets moved out of the main tabernacle, which is the sort of golden safe where we keep it, and it's put somewhere else. Yeah. And the idea is that... Not in the church. Not in the church. Right. Well, yeah. Well, as best you the can. The church proper. Yeah. yeah. So um, at this church, yeah, so we were sort of like in the back, you know, um, praying before the what's called the altar of repose. So it's where you keep Jesus uh, until... On this day. Yeah. Until uh, throughout the whole triduum. Hmm. He's still not there on Good Friday. And then... He's gone. He's That's on. the whole point is that he's gone. He has sacrificed himself. So we have the mass at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday during which we will consecrate an enormous number of hosts because uh, you are not allowed to say Mass on Good Friday, the day that Jesus uh, sacrificed himself for our sins. That's the idea being that it's the day when Jesus actually did it, so we don't need to celebrate the commemoration of his sacrifice. Right. But we still do distribute communion, so you'll right. you'll have a huge number of hosts in the altar of repose on Good Friday. The priest will go and it's get them. big old chaborium. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's right, like two days' worth, um, and a lot of people come, so it's thousands of hosts depending yeah. upon what church you're in. And then he's put away again until mm-hmm. uh, the Easter vigil, the evening of Saturday, Holy Saturday. So right. anyway, my sister and I are, right, I'm in a bad spot, Holy Thursday, in the church, yeah. praying before the altar of repose. And for the first time in my life, I actually prayed as if someone was listening. Mm. Uh, I grew up saying all the wow. the Hail Marys, the Our Fathers, beautiful, indispensable prayers. But I never, I realized I had never said them as if someone was listening, right? Wow. Other than... Maybe my parents are teachers. Yeah. So for the first time I knelt down and I prayed and my prayer was effectively, what the heck? Like what's, it wasn't as clean as that, but I just kind of let, yeah. let God have it. And I was like, what is the point of my life? Why am I so miserable? Right. I've tried to do all these things to make me happy. Things that I see my friends doing, they seem to be having a good time. Like yeah. what, what is the point of my life? And the second I finished, that's, this is all obviously internal. Sure. The second I finished that prayer. Uh, my sister, who's kneeling next to me, taps me on the shoulder. She hands me a uh, an article that she had been reading. And I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I'm reading an article now. Mm. And I start reading. I still have this article saved on my computer. And it's like three lines in. It says, the point of life is to say yes to the mercy of Christ. I rejoice in a truth that does not depend on me. It is given to me. And in an instant, I knew that it was all true. Everything I had been taught, mm. every everything I had been brought up to believe, was true because there was a person behind it. There was someone who heard my inaudible prayer, who was with me in that darkness, in that pit, 
and really what he was doing was he was waiting for me there. He was waiting for me to cry out. Mm. And when I did, he came in, said, right. Yeah. This is, this is your path forward. It's mercy. Abandon yourself to mercy, which is really that, like talk about the next step, right? It's like, that was my next step. It's like, all right, go to confession. Yeah. Get right with God. And then just keep on that path of trying to let Jesus conquer sin in your life. But yeah, it's like, I, I, sh- I shared that story actually at the high school today and the teacher playing devil's advocate was like, well, how do you know that wasn't just an emotional coincidence? And it's like, I've, I've never been more sure of anything in my life mm. than that moment. It's like, I'm more certain of that than I am that we're talking together right now. It was just <laughs> like, it, it was just so clear. The peace yeah. that came, this overwhelming presence um, of just, I'm not alone. You're with me. And right, looking back, it's like, it's beautiful that, that I was given that first encounter with Christ, with the person on Holy Thursday, the day that the priesthood was instituted, the day that the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass was instituted, the Eucharist was instituted. It's like, this was what he was preparing me for. I didn't yeah. know it at the time, right? I mean, yeah. I, was, I was 19. Um, it would be a decade, actually, before I would be ordained a priest after that. But mm. that initial encounter um, just absolutely changed everything about my life. And so the way I described like the rest of college was... I just wanted to get to know more this man who had revealed himself. Mm. That was where Benedictine College stepped in because the community there is so solid. Mm. The The men that I was hanging out with were really good men. Um, and that was, again, that's what I tell people. I think that's the best thing about Benedictine College is that the men who I became friends with were just normal guys who also went to church. Yeah. And I thought those two were mutually exclusive of each other. <laughs> like, right. You either got to go to church or you're normal. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, nope, these are guys who I am naturally friends with, mm. but they're great examples. Uh, great, you know, men who can encourage me and call me to something higher. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's slow, right? Oftentimes we can demand results immediately, but it was like, yeah, it was, it was a yeah. couple of years of sort of processing through stuff and, and growing in relationship with Christ really yeah. for the first time. Um, That's cool. So in the, or before the altar of repose where it's dark, mm-hmm. it's quiet. Yep. And I means, you know, some say that like Jesus was in jail mm. at the, at the hour of day in which like the, you know, the good or the Holy Thursday mass when yep. it concludes, it actually doesn't, there's no, there's no conclusion of the liturgy, yep. which is wild to think mm-hmm. about that it's actually finished on is that e- accurate Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil. It Holy, goes all the way through. Holy Come Thursday, on. Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Longest Mass ever. Yeah, it's all one liturgical service over cool. three days. That's wonderful. So it's it's before this altar of repose, in the quiet, in the dark, and you cry out an honest prayer, expletive prayer. I don't know. You, 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 <laughs> you cry out nonetheless, and he responds. And how funny that he, he could have responded directly and been like, hey, mm. it's going to be okay. Yeah. And... You could have heard like his, the Lord's voice audibly, you know, inaudibly, like in your, in yep. your mind's eye, your mind's ear or whatever. But he, he just looked at your sister and your sister looked at him and he's like, you know, yeah. he's, he's gesturing over, yeah. you know, show him that thing you're reading right now. Show him. Yeah. And she does. And boom. Yeah. And that's beautiful, right? That's the Lord wants us to take part in his saving plan. Yeah. If he can use us for conversion, for the salvation of souls, he absolutely will. So yeah. God bless my sister. Praise God for her fidelity, for her awareness not to try to fix her younger brother but to bring her brother to jesus in the eucharist right right? and that's what i do now as a priest right Mm -hmm. it's it's to bring people 
to bring their sacrifices, their sufferings, their joys, all of it to bring to Jesus in the Eucharist. And it was an act of love. Very you much know, so. It was just an act of love, an honest act of love. And it's so innocent when yeah. it's honest, right? It's just, it's disarming Yeah, for sure. So going back to school from there, then kind of like what happened? Yeah. Uh, so again, so I was, um, again, just, I don't know, just like the, it's sort of like an analogy of like becoming a priest. It's like you sort of wake up and you're like, whoa, I'm a priest. It was like back then it was like sure. you would wake up and be like, I'm in a state of grace. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not partying. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It was just, it was, life was fundamentally changed and mm. uh, there was an intense freedom that I found because right in that darkness, in that mm. moment on Holy Thursday, the world was very small. My life was small. Yes. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of room, wasn't a lot of freedom, was I didn't see anywhere to go. The Lord speaks into my life and all of a sudden the horizons just explode. And mm. it's like, whoa, there is so much to be done. Um, not just to be done, but to be experienced. It's like everything now took on a character of joy, of peace, of freedom. Um, I found myself genuinely happy yeah. for like the first time in a while. And that was neat. That's always, mm. that's always good. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was just me trying to grow, really learn more about this man named Jesus. So I devoured books, absolutely anything I could get my hands on about yeah. prayer and the spiritual life. Um, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton were my two boys. They nice. were walking right along the two good Brits that they are. Um, they walked me through, I mean, these books written hundred years ago, but just right when I needed to read them, they helped explain who Christ is, right? The problem of suffering what is the church, right? All of these sort of big questions that I'm sure I'd received, you know, education on all throughout sure. grade school, but it was like in a more intellectual way. Um, my father is very intelligent. My brother is very intelligent. I wasn't bad at school. And so we've, us three men, we've always sort of thought on a higher plane. And I don't know, we sort of have a, a hunger for that of like, we're not going to shy away from a book because it's too difficult to read. And so, yeah, they, they, especially Chesterton wrote some sort of more challenging works, more difficult to grasp, but yeah, I just loved it. Um, I was pre-med, so I was studying biology. I wanted to go be a small town doctor. Mm. I wanted to get married, have a kid, kids, all that good stuff. Um, but eventually throughout college, I found myself just getting so drawn to specifically the sacrifice of the mass. And what I mean by that is the offering. So at the sort of halftime of mass, right, is what we call the offertory. It's where we move from the focus and study of the scriptures to the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the sort of break in between is when the faithful, it's our task um, to make an offering, to place something spiritually on the altar. And when I found out that I could do that, like, again, yeah, I'm sure someone told me that when I was in grade school, it didn't sink in. Right. Um, when Prior Levin Harton at Benedictine College up at St. Benedict's Abbey told me that, it clicked. And I found myself just hungering to go to mass of, of just like, Jesus, I want to give it all to you again. Yeah. I did it yesterday. I want to do it again. Just mm -hmm. whatever it is, give it all to you through the hands of the priest to be offered up to the father. And I found such peace and such joy in that. Um, yeah, it was just that, that moment in particular. And yeah, there just eventually came a point where, yep, yeah, my, again, my spiritual director was prior 11. He told me, he's like, I think you might have a religious vocation, right? There's, there's a desire to do something that's, I'm not going to say not normal, but is indicative of a religious vocation. It's yeah. sort of self-offering yeah. in union with Jesus. That's sort of a distinctly priestly action, which we all, right, as the baptized yes. faithful, as 
anointed as priest, prophet, and king. We can all partake in that in the Holy Mass, but in a special and unique way, the priest does that. He offers not just this offering or that offering, his very life in union with Christ. Um, Yeah. And so I thought, I tell people I wandered into the seminary. I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot for a year. (laughs) Like med school was on hold. Uh, Yeah. Right. That'll be there. When I come back, I can go check out seminary, check that box off and go get married. Like all the other, I gotta, I gotta do this thing before I go and be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like the Lord was waiting for me in seminary and showed up and too many encounters to even, you know, recount, but just immediately he made it so acutely aware that this is what I, yeah. this is the plan I have for you, for you to be my priest. I still didn't want to, mm. but I thought someone's got to bite the bullet, right? Yeah. We need priests. I'll, I'll take I'll one. I'll fall on my sword. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. Yeah. The rest of seminary was coming to discover that it was actually the deepest longing of my heart that I was unaware of. Mm. Just crazy that we can become, we don't know what we want. We're so complex. Mm. We can't understand ourselves. The Lord has to reveal that to us. And he did over the seven years of seminary, right? Revealed, this is what I've been looking for ever since grade school, middle school, right? That emptiness I felt is here in the priesthood. Mm. And then I could rejoice that my will and God's will were the same. Yeah. And in fact, that I, that was why I wanted it was because it was what God had planned for me. Right. Yeah. You talk, talk a little bit more about that, that last part. Yeah. So, um, right. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to live full lives. And if we dig and if we're really honest with ourselves, that's how we know God's plan for us. It's actually what we desire. St. Ignatius of Loyola talks about this. He says, being aware of your thoughts, feelings, and desires. That's how you discern the role, the, the job that the Lord has for you, because that's why they're there. You didn't create them. He placed them in your heart. Sometimes they're hidden or covered up, right, by vice or sin or ignorance. But if we really get to the heart of what do I want, it's like, that's, that's how we know that's what the Lord is, is calling us to. Mm. And so it's cool because people are like, oh, that's either what I want or what God wants. It's like, nope, what you want is placed there by God. If you're being honest with yourself, right? Because I could also say, oh, I want to get married, quote unquote. But it's like, that was more of like, I appreciate marriage. I see it's a good and a beautiful thing. I know that that could make me happy, but there was some, I don't know. It's something was missing. Yeah. There was something deeper that I wanted. Um, and for folks who get married, it's like, that's their experience of that is like, they just know I want to get married. And yeah. it's like, beautiful. That's what God wants for you too. Yeah. Um, but you have to be honest with yourself, right? Yep. That's a scary place to be. Of. <laughs> yeah. All, all this is to say, it's like, well, just because I want to go and, you know, eat like every single cupcake on the face of planet <laughs> earth, I, you know, maybe I want to go, um, um, I'm trying to think of, a, I'm trying to think of a way to explain stuff without really? being scandalous. Like, could you speak to that? Like, just because I want to do that, the desire you said, just the, yeah. the Lord didn't put that, that desire. Like, yeah. yeah. So that's, um, if you want me to just take it from here, I can, or you can feel free no, to knock yeah. that out. We're, so, I mean, like someone might say, you know, I want to go lead a mission trip. I want to go live abroad for a year. Mm. It's like, okay. Thoughts, feelings, and desires. Yeah. St. Ignatius of Loyola through his, uh, rules for discernment. It's you're aware of what comes along with those thoughts and those desires. Okay, let's say, yeah, like a good and noble thing. I want to go on mission. Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there right. freedom there? Is there excitement? If, if so, yeah, praise God. That's from the Lord. That's a true desire of your heart. Is there fear? Is there agitation? Is there shame? Is there doubt? Question? Anxiety. Like, anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That is from, St. Ignatius of Loyola says, that is from the enemy. That is from the enemy of our souls, the evil spirit. We reject that firmly. Right. Um, 
And sometimes it's, yeah, it takes a long time to sort of figure that out. But that's what we do in seminaries. Yeah. You sort of play out. You both. sift it. You're like, okay, I'm going to think about what it means to be a priest and which what it means to be a priest is fundamentally not to do, but to be conformed yeah. to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that was what I wanted. Right. Yeah. That's great. It's like that, that was, and when I would think about that, right. When I'd think about finance council meetings, anxiety, hmm? fear, right. Like when I think about <laughs> the Lord's telling me I shouldn't go. Yeah. Yeah, saying. exactly. When I think yeah. about, uh, yeah, you know, getting married, it's like, okay, there was like an intellectual appreciation of it, but there was also some, yeah. Sure. Desolation around that. But it was like, yeah. when I think about being, consecrated to Christ being in union with him and in being able to act in his place as Christ, the head, just peace, yeah. joy. It was good. It was, mm. yeah, it was all the good words. That's why it's abide, people. a joy that abides. Absolutely. Like not just joy, happy, like, but joy that abides. Yep. Yeah. Abiding joy that lasts. That's so, that's so great. Um, uh, yeah. Highly recommend anybody out there. If you have, if you're unfamiliar with, uh, St. Ignatius's, I think there's like 17 rules or questions of discernment or what what's the yeah, there are rules for discernment rules he, for he, discernment. he wrote them into uh two different groups my gosh my spiritual director is gonna be so disappointed if i don't know i think they're in groups of 14 and 8 maybe father timothy gallagher is your boy mm. if you're interested in yep. rules for discernment he has written um lots lots and he is very very well versed he used to give us uh retreats and conferences at the seminary he's a jesuit he is a omv so the oblates of the blessed virgin mary oh Whoops. their job was effectively they took Jesuit discernment and then sort of took it in a Marian character. It's it, they're cool. they're very they're Ignatian in tradition, but nice. they're not technically Jesuits. So. Cool, that's great. That's really good. Yeah, pr- one of the best things I've ever learned from discernment. Which, by the way, the word discern means it's if you were to chop it up etymologically, look at the origins. It's it's like to thresh or to sift through something. Um, yeah, it's the same. It's the same word for disciple. Like the uh, to discern disciple, they have that same root, which means to uh, to sift into to sort and to thresh. Just yeah. like uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really cool to think about. Mm-hmm. Like what's gonna what's gonna remain? What's gonna remain on this little sifter thing, guy? Yeah, you know the uh, the chaff and the wheat, like the sifting through and figuring out what's worth um, what's worthy, what's yeah. worth keeping, yep. and what needs to be burnt up. Yep. Yeah. Let's go. I love words. All right. So what's your relationship look like today, you know, with Jesus in the Eucharist? You're kind of, you're kind of a special unicorn <laughs> case because you're a priest, right? And, but yeah, what does that look like for you? Like what's your prayer life look like? Oh man. Uh, it's definitely, I'm, I'm as, not that it wasn't before, but it's, it's all centered around um, the mass, obviously. It's interesting. It, um, it's like for others now. Hmm. Um, you know, back before ordination, it was like the Eucharist was sort of for me. It's it's not for me, but it's like I benefit from it, right? It's yeah. it's it's much more a personal spirituality. But as as priest, you are right. Like you cannot deny that it's like this is for others, right? For me and for others. But right. it's like here in the mass, right? I play. It's, it's a wrong way to think about it, but like I play right. the role of Jesus. But it's like no, yeah. Jesus uses my humanity to offer up His one sacrifice. Um, for the salvation of all and to the glory of God. And so it's it's being wrapped up much more in the sacrificial action, um, right? Saying the words of institution, it's like they're they're beautiful. They're hopefully more and more each day, my own words, you sure. know, I can tell the people, this is my body given for you. I'm sacrificing myself for you. Right. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's not, 
it's not about me anymore. Again, mm-hmm. my spiritual director, Brother Levin Harton. Yeah. One Brother of, Levin's the man. One of the best He's pieces cool. of advice he told me was, he was just like, <laughs> get over yourself. No, what'd he say? Yeah. No, he, he, <laughs> did he actually say that? He said, uh, okay, let me make sure I phrase this right. Who do you think you are? Mm. He goes, it is not about you. It's about, it's about Christ. And he was laughing while he said it because of what I was talking sure, about. Sure. I was being, you know. With a finger in my face, he screamed. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's sitting across from me just laughing like, yeah, who yeah. do you think you are? Yeah. It's not about you. Yeah. It's about Christ. And every day when I celebrate Mass, I can, I, I'm reminded of that. It's like, yeah, it's not about me. Yeah. It's it's about Christ. Um, it's this kenosis, this emptying of oneself. Yeah. Um, not to the annihilation of oneself, but nope. this self-gift emptying. Mm-hmm. Um because when I look into the, you know, um, as spouses, maybe I was going to say super personal, cut this out, <laughs> cut. Um, but yeah, like when spouses look into one another's eyes as they, they reconsummate their marriage in the, in the, in the marriage bed, they're saying unto one another, like, yep. this is my body given for you. Yep. Like complete and total self gift, holding nothing back. Yeah. And yeah, it's just in a, in a different, but beautiful and similar way though, priests like you're participating in the one singular eternal priesthood of jesus christ king of the universe holy moly what and at the same time you're you're saying the words the very words that um are efficacious and they change reality yeah before everyone's eyes and it's in your yeah. hands that this takes place how wonderful yeah i mean i'm recounting right what well, we're commemorating recalling celebrating the last supper two thousand years ago where jesus said that I'm also saying it to the students at St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Yeah. This is my body given for you. Yeah. I'm going to lay it down as best I can. And in the ways that we're not good at that, that's where the confessional comes in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, we, we screw up. Yep. And how merciful, Amen. honestly. Cause it, it's really neat because there's three sacraments of healing in the church. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the sacrament of confession, obviously, probably the easiest. Maybe not. No, I think uh, maybe the, the, the anointing of the sick. Formerly yeah. known, maybe in Hollywood, known as like last rites or whatever, which mm-hmm. is not just, by the way, anointing of the sick is not just for when you're about to croak. It's if you're sick. Yep. If you're like physically ill, anointing of the sick yeah. is a sacrament that you can receive. Yeah. The grace, the specific grace of anointing of the sick is union with Christ's suffering. Mm. People think it's healing. We pray for that. And in God's eternal providence, if healing comes, we'll praise him. Yeah. If it doesn't, that's not like the sacrament didn't work because right. it can still unite the God person. doesn't actually love you. Right, yeah. You, love, so. <laughs> you just need to pray harder and give right. more money to my Try church. Try harder. Right? <laughs> uh, we're being facetious, okay? Yep. There we go. Uh, and, then, and then the Eucharist. The Eucharist. These three sacraments yep. are the, the, the healing sacraments of the bride of Christ, of the church that Jesus himself gives to us uh, because when he's giving us these sacraments, he's giving us his very self. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. There, there are definitely some masses where I'm more aware of that than others. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just, it's funny. It comes and goes and you never know when it's going to hit you. There's some just normal, random, you know, 27th Wednesday in ordinary time. And I'm just standing yeah. there like, whoa, I'm wearing green. I, I'm aware of what I'm doing. Right. Yes. Uh, a lot of times, right. Just like anyone priest can kind of get into autopilot mode. Um, right. We try to do our best to be conscientious conscientious and aware yeah while we're up there but yeah sometimes it just sort of breaks through everything all the static and it's like i'm holding god in my hands this that's is real holy moly wow um and how humble he is i found myself preaching on that a lot lately of like the creator of the heavens and the earth present everywhere and filling all things the one who the heavens cannot contain allows column to hold him yeah it's stunning yeah 
and to be abused. And, mm-hmm. You know, like who who does that? Yeah. Who puts themselves in a situation where they can just be totally and utterly neglected, abused? Like who who's willing to do that? Yeah. No, no, it's God. Yeah. God, our God, our beautiful, loving, sweet, merciful, jealous. Yeah. Just like mighty yeah. God. Like he's the one who's willing to be totally just subject to um, depravity for our end. Yep. For just, our end, for our good. Just to be close to us. Right. Because he loves us. Yeah. It's something to meditate on. It's definitely something to take to prayer. Yeah. Lord, thank you for loving me as oftentimes like I can't even love me. Yeah. Man, thank you. Help me see myself as you see me. Help me see my my bride as you see me. Help me see my 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 siblings, my my parents, my every single relationship as you see them, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Jeez. Okay, so everything kind of revolves around the mass. You're obliged by the church to pray the hours. Yep. Um, can you talk about what that is? I don't even know if I can explain that yeah. well. So this, uh, this is another common misconception. Priests are not obliged to say mass every day. Most people think they are. For a long time, I thought that was the case. It's a, it's practically what happens, right? Yeah. It's, because you it, want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do good things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I you mean, want it's, to. It's, 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 and the church even says, you know, like it's, it's laudable to celebrate mass every day, but what you promise at your ordination is to celebrate what we call the liturgy of the hours or mm-hmm. the divine office, um, the breviary. There's any number of, of names for it, but it's effectively, you agree five times a day to pray some of the Psalms, mm. uh, it's to sanctify the day, right? So there's morning prayer, evening prayer, uh, daytime prayer in between those, night prayer, and then there's something called office of readings, which traditionally is done at like 2 a.m., but seriously, the church lets us pray it at any point in time throughout the day. Basically so. every three hours, four hours, three hours? Yeah. Three times five, 15. I mean, awake, overnight. waking hours. Yeah. Yeah. Thereabouts. Basically. And so people are like, oh, what a burden. It's like, really? No. Not really. It's like, it's maybe combined. It's maybe an hour of prayer each day. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the priest's bread and butter. Yeah. Right. And again, yeah, it's, I come back to the ordination liturgy often of like, what did I actually promise to pray? Cause that's what you prioritize. Right. I didn't promise to pray a holy hour every day. Mm. Absolutely. Right. Like a goal and something beautiful. Yeah. It's great. Good to do. I didn't promise Archbishop Nauman to do that though. I promised to pray the liturgy of the hours every day. And so the more, the better I can do that, the more intentional I can do that. Sometimes you're busy and you just fit it in and it's right. You're not going to brag about it, but it's like, Hey, I did it. I prayed it, um, yep. as best I could. But you know, we all have those days where you're just running behind, uh, when the landing gear, it doesn't come down on the plane yeah. and you're just skirting in there at the end. I was thinking of this crash the, landing. The latest I've ever prayed morning prayer was at 3 PM. <laughs> is, that, is that even legal? Or you saying so you're supposed to say it within a day, right? Oh, it's like, okay. It's not like if it's eleven, you haven't prayed morning prayer. It's like tough. You're toast. You're still obliged to play it. Okay. Pray it. So yeah. I, okay. Um, I did not know that. That was a bad day for me though. But yeah, it's good to just sanctify the day, and it does stop you and pull you out of yourself and yeah. of your own. Like I was talking about earlier, the frequency with which we raise our our hearts to God, the liturgy of the hours is a great way to do that. And yeah. the Second Vatican Council really opened it up to lay people, encourage them, right, to take part in this because it's the prayer of the church. It's the church, the the way we understand it is it's the church praying for herself. And that's why it's not like, that's why I'm obliged to do it, why I've promised to do it because I'm not praying for myself. I'm praying for the parish, the students, the church, everyone. And it's all the priests, all the religious joining their voices together. you're telling me it's not because you're a self-righteous narcissist? 
Well, I might be that, but it's, oh. that's not why I pray. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> no, yeah, I love I love our our priests out there who who just stay faithful. Amen. Yeah, thank you for your faithfulness in um, even like those really small and hidden ways. Because the Lord, man, He says time and again, how many times in your hidden room, in your inner room, lock the door yep. where you're only your Father who sees in secret. He will reward you. So thank you yep. for for owning that. Yeah. I've heard it put before uh, that the liturgy of the hours is kind of like the extension of the mass, that the, that the mass is the prayer of the church, like it is yeah. the, the pinnacle, not, maybe that's probably not the right way to say it, but it's the highest mm-hmm. prayer of the church. Yeah. And an extension of that is the liturgy of the hours. And I love that also a uh, fun fact for everybody out there that the, where did we get this? Did we get this because we were all just like, you know, roaming around in some Roman cathedral wearing, you know, long garb and ringing bells and levitating and chanting all day. It's like, no, this came from the the Jewish people, the Jewish tradition yep. that they were praying at these exact same times, the Psalms yep. throughout the day. Mm-hmm. This was an ancient tradition that goes far back beyond. Yeah. When Christ, you know, came. Yeah. Um, the Psalms are the prayer book of the church. That I like. I've heard it described that way, and it's like, mm. if you're tr- struggling to pray, pick up the Psalms. Yeah. Because there is one in there that covers every emotion, circumstance. Mm. Like there, right? So there are some what is really one nineteen. Well, which one is your? I, I'm, I'm not good at. Oh, number, okay. You know, uh, my one companion is darkness. Is the last <laughs> line of one of the salt. We pray that on a Friday night prayer. So right. Oh, so wow. the day of Christ's sacrifice. It's dark out. You finish wow. the week with. It's friend and neighbor you have taken away. My one companion is darkness. Wow. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to wow. the Holy Spirit. So you end every psalm with the glory be really affirming that victory of life over death. Yep. Yeah. Even if it's tough. And you're saying that psalm for the person who feels like that. It's know? not about you. It's not for it's you. It's not about you. Especially yep. right there. Yep. Wow. That must be just a continual like renewal of the mind thing. Like Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed yeah. by the renewal of your mind. That you might, yeah, it's just like that must be a lifelong thing that you're like, well, wait, okay, right. It's not actually about me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a super easy trap for a ton of us to, to fall into. It's just like feeling sorry for oneself and, um, what was me? What was me? Yeah. You know, that kind of, man, this sucks. This sucks. Really sucks. Oh man, just what was me? But no, I can actually give that back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I give, when I turn to him, it's an act of praise. Yep. When I turn to him, the father's glorified. When I turn to him, everything that I, I turn to him and give to him is actually sanctified. It is actually transformed and it no longer bears the same image that it did before. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Man. That's good.